Well, it is good to see each of you this morning. Glad you could be here. We'd like to wish each of you a happy new year. I'm excited about the coming new year and the things in which we can be involved. Uh, when you pick up your books out on the foyer for the Thursday morning class, uh, be sure to uh, let me know if we run out. And I can uh, get some before Thursday. So if, uh, as you pick your books up, if we someone uh, needs a book and it's not there, let me know and I'll go pick some up at the bookstore before Thursday at 11 o'clock. Looking forward to that. If you would, open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 10. Now the whole context of uh, our sermon this morning is the first 17 verses, but we're not going to read those 17 verses. I want us to notice the first four verses. We'll talk about the following details as the sermon progresses, but I want us to notice the first four verses of Ezra chapter 10, and this is going to be the foundation of our sermon this morning. Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Do you recall many years ago when we used to have revivals? Now I'm talking about the two-week revivals. The ones where they would go on for two weeks or maybe even longer. It was kind of an event, wasn't it? People would show up to those revivals. It was... Uh, uh, really one of the only things in years past that people did aside from simply working, wasn't it? They would show up at these revivals, and and but those revivals soon gave way to the three-day or the four-day gospel meeting, didn't they? Now, most congregations do that. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have a four-day gospel meeting instead of a a two or three week revival. I think times change, cultures change, and, and that's okay. I believe in today's uh, world, maybe the four week or the four day gospel meeting has its place where maybe the revival doesn't so much anymore. Now that doesn't mean we do not need a revival though, does it? That doesn't mean that we can't have a revival. It may not be a two week revival, but at times, congregations need to be revived. They need to be refreshed. They need to be reminded of certain things, don't we? Everybody needs a revival. From time to time, we all need that. And I believe that Ezra is one of the greatest examples of this. I think that sometimes we get a little bit lax in our works and, and we get a little complacent and not that we 
want to do that, but life just kind of begins to take place and it begins to happen. And sometimes we need a little nudge in the right direction. Sometimes we need to be reminded of a few things, right? Sometimes we need to be helped along the way. Any time is a good time for a revival. But see, we're starting on a new year. We are embarking today on a new year, 2017. Couldn't be a greater time for a revival of sorts. Peter wanted to revive and to remind those of like precious faith in 2 Peter 1.1. They knew the truth. They were faithful. They were living like they needed to live. But Peter wanted to make sure they remained that way. That they didn't stop. That they didn't give up the fight. He reasoned this way. He said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 2. He wanted to stir them up. He wanted to revive them. They weren't being unfaithful. They weren't doing things they shouldn't have been doing. He just wanted to remind them, keep doing it. Maybe you could do a little better in this area. Maybe you could do a little more over here. They weren't unfaithful, but they still needed a revival. And we need one from time to time. There's no greater example again of of a revival, in my opinion, than that of Ezra and the Israelites at that time. The background of Ezra chapter 10 is the return from captivity from Babylon. They were coming back, and God had stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation before all, saying this, He said, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Ezra 1-2 Now, Zerubbabel, he was privileged to lead the first captivity back home. And they began to rebuild the temple. Then we look over and we begin to read a little bit about uh, Nehemiah. He was the leader of the third return and they went back to rebuild the walls. They went and rebuilt the walls. But it was Ezra. It was Ezra who brought this second captivity back. They needed to do some things. They needed to do some things for them and it helped them more than the physical work that they did regarding the temple. By the time Ezra was sent by God to lead his people back, it had been 58 years since the temple had begun its reconstruction. And during that time, these people had kind of gotten a little complacent. They had gotten lax in their works and they had been doing some things that God did not support. They had gone off into sin and they had been doing things that God condemned and Ezra needed to revive them. They needed a revival. I want us to understand that this grieved Ezra. He understood that something needed to be done. Notice what was said. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. 
For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Ezra 9, 1 and 2. See, Ezra understood there needed to be something happening. They needed to be ginned up again. They needed to be excited about being faithful to God. Sometimes we lose that excitement. See, our love for God can grow cold. Over time, it can grow cold, and, and we can come uh, become kind of uh, complacent and, and lukewarm and, and neither hot or cold. We're just kind of here. That can happen. Of course, in this account, they had become that way, but then they drifted on over to they were just cold. They had left what God had commanded them to do. And that's what we need. We need a good revival sometime. Now, we're given some abundant information about Ezra in a lot of ways. In some ways, we don't know a whole lot about him, but in this particular account, God's told us some very important things. And we can learn some things from Ezra. It is said of Ezra, Ezra 7 verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's what we need for a good old revival, isn't it? We need as a group to stand up and say, we want to follow after God's laws. We want to do what God does. We're doing what He's asked us to do, but maybe we need to look around and say, can I do something better over here or over there? We have to prepare our hearts for God, don't we? Well, how do we do that? I believe it boils down to personal responsibility. I think we need to look at ourselves. It was Paul that said, examine yourselves for you know whether you're in the faith or not. Those around us may not understand that, but they may not know whether we're in the faith. They may think we are. They may think we're not. But we know, don't we? As individuals, I understand if I'm in the faith or not. Paul said, examine yourselves. What is that? Personal responsibility. Well-known ethicist, Michael Josephson, he wrote this. Notice what he said. I tend to agree with this. He said, it's been said that the line between childhood and adulthood is crossed when we move from saying, it got lost, to I lost it. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I was telling, I think Cameron the other day, or one of the girls, I said, maybe it was Alexandria, I said, my sunglasses have been lost. I put them on the counter. Somebody got them. She said, you lost the sunglasses. So I didn't want to hear that. I, didn't want, I, wanted, someone to, I wanted a little uh, uh, support. I wanted to say, yeah, that happens all the time. So I had to get another pair of sunglasses. Indeed, being accountable understanding and accepting the role of our choices, playing the things that happen, they are crucial signs of emotional and moral maturity. That's why responsibility is one of the main pillars of good character. He goes on to say, Many people have been seduced by the Peter Pan philosophy of refusing to grow up and avoiding the burdens implied in being accountable. Yes, responsibility sometimes requires us to do things that are unpleasant, or even frightening. It asks us to carry our weight, prepare and set goals, and exercise the discipline 
to reach our aspirations. That is personal responsibility. That goes into every aspect of our lives. He says, but the benefits of accepting personal responsibility far outweigh the short-lived advantages of refusing to do so. No one makes his or her life better by avoiding responsibility. In fact, irresponsibility is a form of self-imposed servitude to circumstances and to other people. He says responsibility is about our ability to respond to circumstances and to choose the attitudes, actions, and reactions that shape our lives. It is a concept of power that puts us in the driver's seat. The grand panorama of the potential of our lives can only be appreciated when we begin to be accountable and self-reliant. He made this statement and I thought it was wonderful. He said, responsible people not only depend on themselves, but they show others they can be depended upon also. That breeds trust and trust is a key that opens many doors. If you want control over your life and the pleasures, prerogatives, and power of freedom and independence, all you have to do is be responsible. I think that's what Ezra knew the people needed. Now this is a great statement from this ethicist. But you know what? He didn't come up with that. We learn that in the Bible, don't we? We learn personal responsibility. That's what Christianity is all about. We have a very personal relationship with Christ and we have to take the responsibility upon ourselves to make sure we are in the right relationship with Christ. Ezra did just that concerning God. I think if we're going to have a revival, and it's good at any time to have one, I think we need to begin with exactly the same foundation that we read about Ezra began with here. Ezra knew that the people needed that, but before they could do it, there had to be a confession. What does that mean? Well, he realized that there was a problem. The people realized that there was a problem. They had to understand, we've got an issue here and we have to take care of it. If we're going to have a revival, we've got to stop doing what we've been doing and we've got to do something else. That's acknowledging there's something I can do. I need to do something. Things had gotten out of hand in Ezra's day and they had to be brought back in alignment with God. And so they had to understand that. Before we can fix a problem, we have to understand that there is a problem. Right? That's confession. That's what we see here in the very first verse of Ezra chapter 10. We've caused problems here, they said. We're weeping. They, it was a show of repentance, wasn't it? They understood they'd done wrong. Now, we cannot get comfortable with where we are in life ever. We always have to be on guard. We have to be watching. There must always be a desire to do better, to be able to do more for God, to be able to do more for the church, to be able to be faithful in every aspect of our lives. Jesus, I believe, told us to carry the gospel throughout the world for that very reason. Do more. Do better. Keep going. Even when you think you've done all you can do, there's always more that can be done, right? 
when we look at what Christ gave up for us, and then I think about the situations in which I live in my life, I've got it made. I can understand from where I'm sitting and looking at where Christ is sitting right now. I can do more. I can do more. And we understand that when Jesus said the gospel would be carried throughout the whole world, that that happened, Colossians 1.23, and it was not by accident. It happened because the people took what Jesus said, they instituted those marching orders, and they went out into the world. They had a revival. Do you know that there are about 150,000 people that enter into eternity every single day unprepared to meet God? That's an enormous number. 150,000 every day, probably more now since I looked that up. That's an enormous number. But like Ezra, we need to realize that there's a problem in the world and it affects all of us. Sometimes it's an outside problem and and we need to, to address that. Sometimes it's an eternal, internal problem, and we need to address that in an individual way. But there are problems. But there's something else we need. If we're going to have confession, understanding, realizing, well, I've got an issue here. We need to do something. That doesn't help us unless we have the right reaction. We must react to the understanding that we've come to. That's what the people did, wasn't it, in our context. When we look at the passage, we understand they came before Ezra. They said, look, we've done wrong. They were weeping. They were grieving. And they said, we're going to do something. We're going to react to this. They were all weeping. They knew they had sinned against God. They knew they needed to fix it. They needed to be revived. And it started with confessing of their actions that were wrong. Sometimes it isn't. Action that causes a problem, though, is it? Sometimes it's inaction. That can be an issue. Now, we have to be able to make some present-day application from what's happening in Ezra's life at this point in history. We need to be able to apply that. Now, of course, in the immediate context, what had the people done? Well, they had taken pagan wives. Well, obviously, if we're in a situation in this time, and in our lives today, where we're in a marriage that isn't what God wants it to be, we have to, we have to get out of that. But, it's unlikely that a whole congregation of people are in that situation. So we still have to be able to make some kind of application here, beyond just the immediate context. How are we going to react to problems that surround us as a congregation as in, and as individuals? We have to do it the same way these people did. May be a different problem, most likely it will be. But we still have to react in the same way. We must move forward, but that can't happen unless we move forward as individuals. See, individuals make up the congregation. Individuals make up the church. The church is the body, it's not the building, is it? We understand that. It's the people, it's those who come together. And so if the congregation is going to move forward as a people, we have to move forward individually. We have to grow individually we have to become what God wants us to become we have to understand that we may be a one talent person right now but I need to work on that and become a two talent person right eventually maybe I can have five talents and I can do things that God wants me to do that's what we gain and understand from what's happening to Ezra in this point in history the reaction that we have to 
have today begins with simply becoming a Christian first, right? We understand that. We have to have a proper relationship with God before we can have a proper relationship with each other and those who are not Christians. There's no way around it. So how do we do that? We understand what what we do in that case. We understand the, the steps of salvation. And we think about this sometimes. And, you know, we teach our children how to become Christians in the five steps of salvation. We need to do that. But I'm afraid, at least it's been my experience in my life, that sometimes you just kind of run off those steps and don't really think a whole lot about the steps themselves, right? Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, faithful living. Then we move on to something else. Well, see, that's because we understand that as Christians, right? We understand, and and now we're moving on, and we're trying to grow in a deeper knowledge, but see, we cannot just pass over something like this. Notice again what Peter said, right? They were faithful. They were Christians, but he wanted to stir them up. He wanted to remind them of some very basic things. We have to be able to understand how I and we became Christians, don't we? We have to be able to tell other people that. It's not going to cut it if we say, well, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live a faithful life. Now let's move on to something else. That's not going to work. What did Jesus say in John eight twenty four? If you don't believe who I am, you're going to die in your sins. If we truly believe who Jesus Christ is, We'll be faithful. It's more than a mental assent. He is the Son of God. Of course, we, that's part of it. But we have to understand, what does that mean, he, he is the Son of God? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, He created all things and He sustains all things. Now, it's a little more to it, isn't it? But we do have to believe that. We have to be willing to repent of our sins. What does that mean? Stop doing it. Understand that it's wrong. It's not just stop doing it. Understand that it's wrong. Understand that it hurts God when I do those things. Don't do that. That's what repentance is. It's not just a change of mind. It's a change of lifestyle. Confession. Confessing Jesus before men. Now in this context, Matthew chapter 10, that's not the confession prior to baptism, but it's applicable. It's our life. We live our lives in confession that Jesus is the King. <clears throat> that we're going to do what He wants us to do. But we do make that confession prior to, be ba- prior to being baptized, don't we? And then He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do we believe that? Sure we do. We believe that it washes away our past sins. But what, what, what doesn't it say? It doesn't say once you believe and are baptized, you don't have to worry about anything else. Taking care of all sins. It, it has to take care of all sins. It doesn't take care of all sins. It takes care of all past sins, right? That's when we start living our lives in confession that Christ is the King. Now we mess up sometimes. We mess up, so we have to, we have to be able to do something about it if we're going to be faithful, Matthew 10, 22. He's going to come back and get us if we're faithful. So we have to be able to repent of those things and come back to Him, ask God to forgive us. That's all part of being a faithful Christian, isn't it? Acknowledging these things. See, there's a little more to it than just 
the five steps or the six steps that we think of. I do that. I'm, I'm guilty of that. But sometimes we just need to stop and be revived and understand how can I teach someone this. See, when we realize all these things, we want to tell others about it. But then there's another step. We go from confession, and we notice in our passage, Ezra 10, what did they want after they confessed their sins? They wanted a covenant. They wanted a covenant with God. We need that. Ezra and Shechaniah understood that they needed that, and they desired to have one. So we may understand we need something, but unless we have the desire to do it, doesn't do us any good. Not going to help us, is it? We have to have a desire to move forward. Those men knew that the situation was urgent. They knew that it needed attention right now. Sometimes we have to do that, right? Sometimes there are things that, that we, we talk about and we say, okay, well, we can handle that in a, however long. But sometimes we have to stop what we're doing and say, look, we have to address this problem right now. We have to fix it. We do it in the health world, in our physical bodies, don't we? We go to the doctor, they give us bad news that we don't want to hear, and we, what, what do we want to do? Do we say, well, doc, let me come back in six months after I think about it? No, we say, what can we do about it? I want to start right now. I have some kind of ailment or a disease that's, that's endangering my life, and I might not live much longer. I want to address it right now. See, it's urgent. Sin is urgent. Isaiah declared this. He said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Ezra and the people didn't wait for a better time. They straightway did what God wanted them to do because it was urgent. Sometimes we get distracted by things in this life. Sometimes life just happens and, and we, we get distracted and we, we get our eye off of the prize and we lose our focus. We've got children to take care of. We've got house payments to make. The electric bill comes around every month. You've got to pay for that water bill. And man, that sewer bill comes along and that's outrageous, isn't it? I couldn't believe that. But see, we get to thinking about those kinds of things and sometimes we lose focus on what's really important. Well, just pay the sewer bill and let's do what God wants us to do and be faithful to Him. You know, I think that when we get overwhelmed, we need to be reminded. I think that's why the church universal needs a revival. I think that bad things are happening in the world and we get a little discouraged about that. We don't like the way our government's acting. We don't like the way... The foreign nations are behaving. We certainly don't like it that we have these terrorist groups and they're threatening us, threatening us on this very day. Threatening us on this very day, the first of the year. ISIS wants problems all over the world. Where does he want them? Where do they want them to take place? In churches. In churches today. We have to be on guard right now. In case someone comes in and wants to do something to us. See, we, we begin to worry about those kind of things. And we need to. We need to be concerned about those. But what do we really need to be concerned with? Let's go back to the Revelation. Be concerned with eternal life, right? Congregations of, are full of people who love God and sometimes we just get off track a little bit. That doesn't mean we're unfaithful. It simply means we need to pay a little closer attention. We need to look around and 
you know, we'd like to have larger congregations everywhere, wouldn't we? We'd like to have more members of the church. I decided a long time ago, I'm not going to become super discouraged because we're small in number. You know why? We've always been small in number from the beginning. Eight people got on the ark. Israel, probably the smallest nation in the world at the time they were God's people. That's why He chose them, because they were small in number. That's what He said. So I'm not going to be too discouraged. Now, when I get discouraged is when I see that I need to revive myself, I'm not doing what I need to do, then that, then we need to be discouraged, right? But if we're living like God wants us to live, and we're working like He wants us to live, our numbers will be what they need to be. That doesn't mean they won't improve. That doesn't mean we don't always need to be working. This isn't a crutch. Because if we're not working hard, we're not pleasing God. Not everybody's going to listen to what what, uh, what we have to say about God. But we did, didn't we? Surely we aren't the only ones in our neighborhoods who are willing to listen about what Jesus Christ can do for us. That's why He commanded to go in and teach all nations, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Because there are people out there who will listen. We need to have a desire, but unless we're directed, it's still not going to be any good, right? We have to be directed. We have to direct ourselves. We have to accept direction. That's what Ezra did. They directed the people and what to do. They told them what they needed to accomplish. They told them how they needed to get their lives back in order so they could be God's people, so they could inhabit the temple once again, so God's presence could be back in the temple again. They directed them to do that. He said, put away your illegal wives and turn back to God. That's just in that particular context, right? But the same application can be made for us today. Put away whatever it is that's illegal in the sight of God and come back to Him. Whatever it is. doesn't matter. You know, at first glance, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Because when we look in Ezra chapter 10, not only had they married pagan wives, but guess what? They had children. They had children. That's heartbreaking. That's not the child's fault. But it's not God's fault. God has directives that He has put forth. I don't know that it's necessarily harsh. It's tough. Hard to do. But God's a just God. But I don't think it's any harsher than when John the baptizer said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, Matthew 3, 7 through 8. He said, you're all a bunch of snakes. You can't be trusted. You're liars. You've been lying to God, lying to everybody else. That is that harsh? Well, it may be. I don't know that it's harsh, but it's very truthful. And they needed it at that time. Now, I believe, in other words, he was telling them, don't just come here feeling bad about your sins. Do something about it. Isn't that what Ezra said? Do it! He said, do it! Get busy with it. Paul commanded, he said, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working. That way he can take care of himself and help others if you need to. That's what Paul's talking about. I think Paul's statement and Ezra's statement is very similar. Get busy doing what you're supposed to do. I think they complement each other. Shechaniah told the people, put your desires into action. If you want to do good, great. Now let's do it. We have to do it. But we have to listen to it ourselves, right? 
We can't just tell other people in our Romans class we're studying on Sunday morning. That's one of the issues, right? They were all for telling the Gentiles you're going to hell. They didn't want to hear it themselves, though, did they? You remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Well, what's the doctrine? Go into the world, teach the gospel, make disciples, grow the church, live faithfully, understand how we get into heaven, how we become Christians, and how we live that way. That's a doctrine. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's ruling today. He's not coming back to set up a 1,000-year kingdom. He's not going to do that. He's done it right now. See, we have to have confession. We have to desire to make a covenant. But none of that matters unless we carry out what we have seen that we need to do. Where did it start? It has to start somewhere. Well, if we pay attention to what Ezra said, we understood Starts with the leaders, right? The leaders lead from front. The leaders lead from the front. Not just by authority, but also by example. Now, leaders have authority. There's a movement in the church and has been for many years that elders or the leadership, they have no authority. They only can lead by example. That's false. That's a sin. That's false doctrine. They have the rule over us, the writer of Hebrews said. Leaders lead from the front. And they have to choose to repent. That's what these men did, right? They chose to repent. They were bringing forth fruits, meat for repentance. Luke 3, verse 8. You've got to have that. Well, how do we translate that into, into today's world with our very specific issues that we face? Well, if the church is going to grow, what do we need? We need elders having Bible studies with people. We need deacons having Bible studies with people. We need preachers having Bible studies with people. We need members having Bible studies with people. We need the congregation as a whole reaching out to the community and saying, we're here and this is why. That's what we need. If we're going to have a revival, that's what we're going to have to do. What if we don't have elders and deacons and all those things? Well, let's work on getting them. That's what we need to do, isn't it? Let's move in that direction. Let's work on being what... God wants us to be. That's His plan. That's the way He wants us to be organized. Do we have to have elders? No, absolutely not if we don't have qualified men. But we need to work on having qualified men. We need to move in that direction. But it cannot stop there. See, every single member of the Lord's church needs to do that and it cannot just be lip service. It cannot be, okay, I agree, let's do it. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and he was having an issue at a congregation where he was and and he said, I went and spoke with the elders. And I said, what they say? He said, I agree, you're right, you're right. I said, they've been saying that for years. <laughs> what good does that do? Just to acknowledge? That's not going to help. Can't be just lip service. There has to be action, right? Do you remember when Josiah found the book of the law in the temple? you remember what he did? He didn't just sit down and cry because the nation had been unfaithful. He was grieved, but he did something. He went about and he restored true worship, 2 Kings chapter 23. He had action. See, we have to have action. We have to carry out what we want to do. If we don't carry it out, it's not going to happen. Now we see the same result when we read in Acts chapter 2. We see action. We see those people saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37 They wanted to do something. They wanted to get back where they needed to be. You know, the expression, 
the road to hell is paved with good intentions, comes from Dante's Divine Comedy. Now, as Dante's guide took him to look at hell, as you read in the book, on the wall was written all sorts of promises that individuals had made to do right, but they simply never got around to it. Have you ever heard someone that was sick or dying or or they would promise God, they'd say, if you just save me, well, I'll turn my life over to you. I will be faithful. And then they don't do it. We've seen that. I've seen that personally in my own family. I've got an aunt that they gave her two weeks to live 25 years ago. Cancer all over her. And she promised up and down, boy, if I can just live, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. If I can just live, I'll do whatever I need to do. That lasted for about a week. And she's back to doing just the same thing. You know, the reality is, people feel a need to obey the gospel, but they don't do it. People feel a need to spread the gospel. They don't do it. See, we need a revival. We have an opportunity to have a revival. And we need one. But we need to choose to do it. We don't need a revival because we're unfaithful. We just need a, everybody needs a revival. Everybody needs to get excited every once in a while and look around and say, okay, where are we? Where are we headed? Even when we're doing well, we still need to say, okay, what can I do better? Let's look back over 2016 and say, boy, we had a pretty good year. Now what can we do better? Learning from that year to make this year even, even greater. That's what we need to do. We have to have a desire to do that. There was a football game played one time and there were two teams and one team was very large and the other team was a small team and of course the, the larger team was just beating up on the smaller team. They, they had control of the line. They couldn't, they couldn't defend. They couldn't have any good offense and it's getting down to the line and, and the coach had this one player. His name was Calhoun and Calhoun was the fastest man on the team. And he was actually the fastest man on the field. And so he understood that if we have any chance at all, we've got to get Calhoun the ball. Well, it came down to it. Time was running out. They had the ball. They had four plays. So the coach brings the quarterback in. He says, look, you hand off to Calhoun, and, and we make a hole for him, and he can run. And if he can break through that line, if we can all focus on that one spot and let him break through that line, they can't catch him. So they go out, they snap the ball, he passes it to someone, incomplete pass. Doesn't go to Calhoun, didn't hand off to Calhoun. Coach is mad, he sends in the signal, he said, give it to Calhoun. Down number two, they snap the ball, he passes it to someone else. Gains a couple yards, and the, the, the defensive line just kills the poor guy. Coach is all upset, why are you not handing it to Calhoun? Said, send in the sign. Give it to Calhoun. Make a hole. Let the man run. Snap number three. He hands off to someone else. Stop behind the line of scrimmage. Loses yards. Coach is furious. One last chance. Fourth down. No time left on the clock. They hike the ball. He steps back to pass and they sack the quarterback. Game over. Game lost. Coach is upset. Irate. Brings him in. Looks at the quarterback and says, You didn't do what I asked you to do. Now we've lost the game. 
Why did you not hand off to Calhoun like I told you to? Well, the quarterback stood tall. He looked at the coach and he said, Coach, the problem was I called the play for Calhoun four times. Calhoun didn't want the ball. That's the problem, isn't it? You've got to want the ball. You've got to want to do something. The best laid plans will fail if we do not put them into action. Calhoun didn't want the ball. Maybe I can understand that. You know, putting your life in your own hands, I guess. But to be successful in having a revival, we've got to take the ball and we've got to run with it. That's what we've got to do. We've got to be willing to do that. Are we always going to be successful? Well, no. No one is successful 100% of the time, but we're successful if we're working. We're not going to convert every single person that we have a Bible study with. But we need to step out of our comfort zone and be willing to do something. Then we're successful. Whether we gain another individual or not, whether another person obeys the gospel, we can still be successful. Because Noah was. No one listened to Noah. Made fun of him. It's going to rain. It never had rain. What makes you think it's going to rain? Noah, you're building this boat like we've never seen before. You must be crazy. He converted no one, but he brought his family on board and he made it. And he was successful. That's what we need to do today. If you need a revival in your personal lives this morning, whether you've obeyed the gospel, if you haven't, we talked about how to do that. If you have, and yet you've become unfaithful, and you need a little revival, need a little nudge in the right direction to get back in the light. Come forward. Repent of those things. Make the confession like these people did. Renew your covenant with God and carry out His plans. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.